Hello and welcome to Sony Music Presents Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and joining me today is one of the world's modern embodiments of the classic rock star, Taylor Hawkins. Taylor, as you know, is the drummer of the Foo Fighters. He's also a terrific singer and a lover of rock and roll tales. He joins me today to discuss the recording of the new Foo Fighters record, Medicine at Midnight. The band recorded the album with Greg Kirsten in Los Angeles. You'll hear tales of a haunted house, the band's sonic aspirations for the album, and a special guest rock star swings by towards the end of our chat. When I called Taylor, as you can hear, he's roaming around his house. You'll sort of hear background noise. Um, it's, a, it's a fragment of Taylor Hawkins' life. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here he is, Taylor Hawkins. Hey, g'day, Taylor. How are you? Hi, Sean. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited. I'm on a podcast. I, I'm in the bathroom right now, so I walk out of the bathroom so it doesn't sound like I'm in the echo chamber, if that would help be helpful to you. Yeah, no, that's great. The echo echo was good, but this is better. Hey, I was just talking to uh, Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil, and he said to pass on his regards to you as a fellow drummer. Oh, he's amazing. He's an amazing drummer. He's one of those guys I remember when I was a kid uh, hearing Power and the Passions on MTV, and and I think he like played Pots and Pans as well. Like he would do like a Pots and Pans solo or something like that. Yeah, he's got a water tank, and he smashed a lava lamp at the end of it. You can just hear it just go, just at the very end of the track. It's great. He's, he, he was one of those. I mean, you know what's funny is, us, uh, you guys had a lot of good drummers. The guy from NXS was really great, is really great, too. John Farris, that's his name. Yeah, great drummer. Right, yes, right. You've got a new record, which is very exciting. I heard it uh, for the first time a couple of days ago, and the great thing is making a fire – it starts with that sort of killer drum pattern kicking off the track. Well, yeah, man, that's a that's the first thing we recorded actually for the record, and um, you know that that was a song that Dave had kind of demoed on his own, and he really knew how he wanted to start the record, and so what you hear is definitely the way he wanted to start the record, and uh, you know it's the first time we've ever used uh, drum loops. We've just never done that before. And I was, I was a little leery of the idea, to be honest, at first. Um, but in the end, it, gets, it, it gives you something that it's like, you know, it's like Phil Collins using a drum machine. You're like, well, why does Phil Collins need to use a drum machine? He's, a, he's like one of the greatest drummers ever. Um, but you just get a different feel. It's just something, you just get something different from the drum loop. Obviously, when it's a drum loop, you, you get this sort of almost, not mechanical, but, but sort of, it's so perfectly monotonous, you know, that it, it's, it just, it's something that no matter how good you are as a drummer, um, I mean, I guess you can fix anything now on a computer, but you can't, but there's something about a tape loop going around in a circle. You know, another one bites the dust. Is, is a drum loop. And there's just something about that that is, that is, has its own thing. And as I said, I was a little, I was a little opposed to the idea at first, to be honest. And then, yeah. and then after I started kind of getting into the vibe that Dave was really going for and kind of going, kind of embracing it, I kind of went, oh, okay, well, that's cool. You know, it is like our queen, the game, if you will. This, this album, you know, it's, it's a lot more sort of, 
you know, heavier, more, more, um, I don't know, it's like, I don't want to say it's dancey, but it is kind of, it is kind of mm-hmm. dancey, you know, if you will. Do you think kind of? <laughs> Well, it's very catchy. It's it, well, I think it's very, very immediate. I mean, it's nine songs. It goes for under forty minutes, and things like you know, a lot of BVs. It's very anthemic kind of record. And I saw that Dave compared it to maybe Bowie's "Let's Dance" or the Stones "Tattoo You" for kind of like a feel and an attitude. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would actually. I mean, that was definitely the motive going in was to make something that was. That we, we didn't want to make a long record. We wanted to make something that that was, uh, you know, kind of quick. You know, we didn't want to get we didn't want to get make another double record with, you know, a bunch of different. We wanted to have a record that was like kind of like the records we grew up on, which were not long because they just didn't have records couldn't be that long when we were kids because vinyl. Yeah, that vinyl you know could only withstand so long. And if and if you made and and the shorter the album was, the better it sounded because the grooves could. I don't know how it all worked, but it just you wanted your record to be shorter back then because it just would sound better. So I just, I just think we wanted to make an immediate, as you said, an immediate, quick, catchy record. You know. Yeah, and you're right. All those compilations I'd buy as a kid, like we used to have things like uh, Scorcher. Uh, Scorcher 77 or 78 and uh, they'd all have like 20 tracks on there. They were so thin the way they sounded. So you're right, the less tracks, the deeper the grooves, the bigger the record sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. I, I like concise records. I mean, I like I like, I like like big giant concept records too, but I, I, I do like concise sort of records as well, you know? We've done the long records. This was it was good to do a quick get in and out quick kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, so circling back to those drum loops, were you making the loop yourself, or were they coming from machines? Was it Taylor Hawkins looped? So literally, I just would play the groove for you know I don't know a minute or two until we felt like we had pick our favorite eight bars or whatever it is or yeah. six or however many bars we decided to use. Cause shame, shame uses the same technique and we just picked the, uh, the, the loop that we liked. The you know, to cut, you know, and, and that's the bed for the, for the, for the rhythm tracks for the verses. But then the choruses are played, um, you know, as a performance, so that so that song mixes that with that, you know. I don't know if you've seen the new Bee Gees documentary yet, but uh, they use the same. I did, and that's so. It's so funny that 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 you said that because I watched that with my wife the other night, and they realized, and the their drummer had to split town, mm-hmm. and so they just took, you know, one of the other drum tracks and put it to the tempo that they wanted it and spliced it. And then there you have it. You know, I think, I don't know who did it first. I don't know if it was the Beatles who did it like on tomorrow. Cause tomorrow never knows is also a tape loop. That was a tape loop that kind of ran through various rooms. I think with pencils turning the tape, they didn't have enough machines. And yeah, I mean, obviously it was so much more difficult to do back then than, than it is, than it is now. It's just so easy to do now, you know? 
which is which is good, which is not yeah. it. But also, you know, I do. I wouldn't mind making a a tape loop record. Some like you know, if we record a record on tape again, which hopefully we will at some point, because um, it's just definitely a different approach. Um, you, the, you, you know, I wouldn't mind doing one on that that you do like on tape. That would be that would or that you where you, we actually cut tape loops. That would be cool. I would be into that for sure. Now, tell me about the house in Encino you recorded at. It was like a 1940s house near Dave's place, and you guys what, were in there for three or four months recording with Greg Kirsten again? Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of creepy. It's, it was, there was something very creepy and off about that place. And I never liked being there at night. I, I didn't mind it during the day so much, but at night it really was, it was creepy to say the least. I heard that you guys kind of uh, minimized the barbecue time and the drinking time so you could get out of there once once darkness hit, right? Oh, yeah. I tried to get out of there before dark every night. I didn't like it there and, and at dark. I didn't, I didn't like creep me out. And I've never been really creeped out by a house, but that house definitely creeped me out. I was sort of wondering, the first time I would have seen you play, did you come down here on that big Alanis Morissette tour on the big record? Yeah. Oh, my God, no. So you would have played all those festival halls around Australia and so forth, 5,000 seaters, I guess, at that time? That was me, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you got the call from Dave to join the Foo Fighters, or no, he actually rang you to ask you who, who he should get to play drums. Did you, have to, did you make your decision in a heartbeat to join the band? Um, yeah, it was actually me who actually got a hold of Dave because I'd heard on the radio, that, literally on the radio, I was driving out in the road and I heard that the Foo Fighters were looking for a new drummer. And, you know, I just kind of felt like my time was up with Alanis, you know, I think that she was thinking about going in a different, in a different uh, direction, maybe a little bit more adult, you know, less heavy and you know, I just—I think I just wanted to play in a rock band. Um, I, I really just—that was my. You know, I always wanted to play in a rock band. You know. Having said that, I had such a great time on that last tour. Really did, and we had such a blast. And oh my god, we had such a such a such a good time. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> And I'll always treasure those times. And I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you if it wasn't for, you know, Alanis Morissette hooking me up with that gig in the first place, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it was great. It was amazing. I'd love to do something with Alanis again someday. We, we've kind of become buddies again. And, you know, we text and email and done a few things. You know, I did her some sort of podcast thing with her that she does. You know, just managed to try and stay friends, and hopefully one day we can do something together. When I heard uh, Shame Shame for the first time, that very percussive drumming you've got, it reminded me a bit of your hero, Stuart Copeland. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I mean... uh, He's definitely my hero. He's definitely one of them. Um, yeah, I think I could see what you mean by that. Well, what about your tribute band, The Cops? Is that still going? 
You know, it's been a while. Obviously, we haven't done anything in a long time. Um, it's been a while since since I since I played with them, but I definitely really it's really fun. That's really a fun thing to do. So I'm hoping that you know once things open back up again, then we can go out and play live. That that I could to go out and be Stuart Copeland for the night every <laughs> once in a while. You know, it's just that's fun. It's really really fun. Now, with this record, I read that Dave uh, was demoing songs maybe at the end of the, the last time you guys were on the road. How does it work with an album like this? Does he send you uh, files or CDs, or does he sit down with you and play your songs on the guitar? Did you have any input as a writer on the tracks on the record? Um, this one, this record was pretty, pretty conceived before I even walked in the room. Um, so, so most of the album, Dave had pretty, pretty good demos for, you know, like, like this is how it should be <laughs> kind of demos. Yes. About half of this record, we knew exactly what we were going to play. Um, and then to take a song like Waiting on the War, or you take a song like uh, uh, Chasing Birds, or you take a song like uh, uh, Love Dies Young. And those were all sort of written in the room together, you know, uh, in the jam room. Sort of like Dave's got this, I got these two ideas, and let's form it into a song. And, and that one, those were written that way. But a lot of, but pretty much all the other ones were pretty well demoed before I, I got there. So, you know, songs can happen in so many different ways. I mean, and they've been done in so many different ways in this band, you know. Dave, Dave is more than capable, of obviously, of playing all the instruments, and, and he can make pretty, pretty awesome close-to-the-album demo by himself fairly quickly. So, but, you know, he leaves the little spaces open for everyone to have, be creative, and, you know, my drum fills are kind of my drum fills. And, but then, like, on a song like Love Dies Young, I... I I kind of thought of the, the groove for that. Dave had something else in mind that we tried, and it didn't really work. And so I said, well, what if I do this? And I did that, and that's where we ended up with that. It sounded sound like Venucci from, from The Killers. <laughs> this is a fucking great drum, by the way. I thought that Love Dies Young's a great ending to the record. Pick that rocking outro you guys would come up with. It's very alive, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah it's, and it's almost got a sort of 80s, Thing to it. I mean, I think this is a kind of sort of homage to the '80s, to our '80s youth, than than any record we've ever made. You know, "Medicine at Midnight" definitely has like it sounds like it could have been off Let's Dance. Um, "Chasing Birds" is very Lennon-esque. Obviously, it's got a Beatles feel to it, uh, or a John Lennon solo feel to it. "Waiting on a Wall" kind of reminded me a little bit of Pink Floyd too, in a good way. Like kind of wall era Pink Floyd. Yeah, wall era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it reminded me of Springsteen a little bit too. Ah. And, and um, yeah, I could see that. I mean, uh, I could definitely. Uh, obviously, waiting on a war sounds like a, a title. You know, Roger Waters could have written. Absolutely. Um, it sounds kind of Roger Watersy. You know? My daddy was in the war. <laughs> he died in the war. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I, I I could see that. Um, 
I didn't really feel like the song sounds like Floyd, but just the that the sort of the idea. But the yeah. song, I think you know, I think I think to be honest, that's my favorite song, and I think that's the one of Dave's finest moments ever as a songwriter. I really, really do. Wow, it's simple and naive and in its sweet way. You know, I've been waiting on a war since I was young. Since I was a little boy with a toy gun. And I think that all of us can relate to that. You know, growing up in the 80s and the Cold War, in the 90s when we first started messing around over in the Middle East, and then, you know, just the Korean, the, the North Korea, South Korea stuff. You know, now with our, you know, administration here and, and, and our sort of government sort of, People are definitely, you know, divided. You know, our country's super divided right now. You know, between the people who love Trump and the people who despise him. You know, and and those are all little wars. You know, and and it's like, yeah, Dave's point and the whole thing was, yeah, I've been waiting on a war since I can't I can't remember not. And I think his daughter said something to the effect when they were somewhere like in the North Korea thing was happening and stuff, you know, that, and I think she said, daddy, are we going to go to war? And, you know, that's kind of a, it's kind of like a, it's a palpable sort of fear for a child and, you know, to live a little bit in fear, you know, mm. really, you know, because this could all be, you know, we could all freaking be dead at any moment. You know, we could, the whole thing could explode. You know, we, the war could happen at any time. You know, yeah. So it, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely like uh, you know a real emotion, a real thing, and a real feeling, and and something that we all like. You know, I'm sure you can attest to. We grew up with. So that's my favorite song on the record by far. I love Die Young. I love No Son of Mine. I really do. Um, it took me a while to come around to Shame Shame because I was like, wait, who, what band are we right now? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then once I kind of accepted that, that we're trying something very new and very different, then I got into it. And yeah. actually, those, those groovy songs are really, really fun to play live because... You know, being the drummer in the Foo Fighters is a tiring experience. It's just because when you're playing, you know, punk rock for, you know, three hours. Yeah. It's, it's hard work, man. And, but then when we go in, when we play Shame, Shame, or we play, you know, Medicine at Midnight, or we play even, uh, you know, the first one that you mentioned, uh, um, Making a Fire. Yes. There's, so, there's a lot more. There's a lot more space in those grooves. You know what I mean? There's just a lot more space. It's not so kinetic. You know, it's not so. You know, like a lot of our music. You know. Yeah. Um, and so I actually, I'm fucking bummed that we can't go out and play it live. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys were going to hold for a tour, but did you eventually just say to yourselves? forget the whole tour thing let's just put the record out and entertain people that way yeah i mean fuck it uh, you know we were having all these meetings with our management zoom meetings like everyone else 
over the over the you know before in in April and May and you know basically everyone said well it's suicide to put your record out right now everyone's records are failing suicide it's commercial suicide you can't tour you're a touring band you're a rock band that's you know that's what you do and um, and now that you can't tour you know it's suicide to put your record out and it might be. And it might still be, and you know, it might be a bad business decision. But Dave's and I and I got, and I get this. Being the songwriter, being the lyricist, these are songs that are for this time in his life, you know. And to just go, oh, well, we're just we're just not going to put it out till for till two thousand, you know, twenty two. Yeah. It's like. You would feel funny sitting on a record that long, you know. You, you it just wouldn't feel right. You, you would have moved on to the next one by then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll have another one by then. And and the truth of the matter is, if it doesn't perform as well because we can't go out and play it live, then so be it. You know, we'll get out there again live eventually when everything is safe and people are feel comfortable again, and and and. We'll get to see, you know, because it's funny, the real litmus test for our songs is really the audience. So, yeah. like, if we were out on tour right now and we every time we played, you know, Shame, people ran as fast as they could to the beer stands or whatever, Dave would eventually take it off the set list. Uh, if yeah. we were doing, you know... Uh, waiting on a war and everyone I mean those that's how we know if the song is gonna is gonna last and a lot of our hits that people consider to be like these big giant hits they weren't necessarily big giant hits when they came out like times like these was not really a big radio hit it did pretty good but it wasn't yeah. a smash by any sense of the word but the fact that we've got so many different kind of versions of it the the quiet version that explodes at the end and, and the full regular live ver and the full regular rock version and it's taken on a life of its own and now people consider it one of our biggest songs yeah and it was not at the time even everlong was not really it that was the second single for color and the shape and i remember specifically that it did not perform as well as the company, the record company and, and Dave and everyone was hoping it would. It did not. It, it was underwhelming chart wise. It didn't do that great. It did. Okay. The video was popular cause it was so weird and all that. But, but once again, it now through the years, people, it's our biggest song. And we end our our shows with it pretty much every night, and and it's just one of those songs that once Dave did the acoustic version on Howard Stern, well then it got a new set of legs, and then they started, and then Dave rushed, and then our manager was like, well they really like that, so Dave rushed into the studio and made an acoustic version of it, just Dave yeah. and the acoustic guitar on their own, and and you know that one probably gets more streams than the actual rock one from the album, so. No, you know, and, that, and that's that's the hard thing we're putting out this record now. We don't know. We won't know really what 
what people really like because we're not going to be able to see it in their eyes when we get in front of them, you know? So, yeah. so we don't know, you know, but, but we couldn't sit on it. It just, Dave couldn't sit on it as a songwriter. And everyone said that you're blown, you're making a huge mistake putting it out. But also one of the things that Dave feels and we all feel is that, listen, if, if our hardcore fans, not the people who just like the hits, but our hardcore mm. fans, the ones that know, you know, freaking, uh, you know, have it all off one by one and, and know, you know, know, you know, the songs that weren't necessarily on the radio. Those people that know those songs, um, they, they, those, those are the people who will listen to this whole record and who will, you know, be stoked to have this. And so in a way, we feel like giving people some new material to enjoy if they really are Foo Fighter fans um, is, an, is a nice special treat to have right now when everyone's, you know, fucking locked up, locked up back here, you know, in, the, in their houses, you know, and in and, and their backyards and, you know, and, you know, it, listen, it's entertainment, obviously, we're, 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 we're our job is to take people's minds off their problems, you know, that's the job, that's, hi, hi, yeah. I just said hi to my dog, that's the job, you know, so, like, and, you know, if, 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 if people can get a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of pleasure, because they got a new Foo Fighter record, I mean, fuck it, if Jane's Addiction was, if Jane's Addiction was putting out a new record right now, I would be fucking psyched because I would have a new Jane's Addiction record, you know? Um, if Queens of the Stone Age put out a new record right now, I will be fucking, I'd be fucking psyched. So, yeah. yes, if a commercial suicide maybe to put out a record right now, probably. But at the same time, we're not going to sit on a record for fucking two years. There's no, no way. Where no. The songs won't mean anything to us at that point. Sorry, Sean, just a two-minute reminder. Thank you. Thank you. He's a bad guy. I'll give you yeah. three more I'll give you three more minutes. Thank you. I'll take that third minute, which gives me the opportunity to ask you, I saw the, the documentary about the 25 years that you guys have done, and I'm just guessing you've, you're married, you've had children, they're amazing things in your life. Apart from being married and having children, was the greatest moment of your life singing rock and roll with Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones? No, the greatest moment of my life was getting to record and meet Dave Navarro, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Wow. <laughs> he happens to be right here. <laughs> <laughs> getting to meet Dave Navarro, getting to, getting to play with Dave Navarro, it's been one of the fucking best things ever in my life. And I really do mean that. But, you know, I, I will say... Um, Can we ask Dave Navarro what the best not thing of his life was? Yeah, Dave. What's the best thing? What's the best thing that's ever happened in your life, rock and roll wise? Playing with Lou Reed. Playing with Lou Reed. Not playing with uh, Taylor Hawkins. Fucking asshole. Playing with Lou Reed. Thank you. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Thanks a lot, Dave. God, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, um, one of my, one of the gifts, the best things about being in the Foo Fighters, dude. I, I'm telling you, my biggest gift that I've gotten from it is getting to play and meet 
all my heroes. And that goes from, that goes from, sorry, those are guitars. That goes from, you know, that goes from Robert Plant and, and our, our deck, Jamie Page and John Paul Jones. The Queen guys, obviously. The Queen guys, Roger Taylor is a dear friend, sort of. Uh, Brian May, uh, Mick Jagger, uh, oh, well. Perry Farrell as well. Um, the list fucking goes on, and that didn't Paul McCartney get on your drum kit? Yeah, Paul McCartney played drums on on the <laughs> song that I sang on Concrete and Gold. Played drums on Band on the Run. He's fucking great. Yeah, no, I love his drumming on Band on the Run. It's fantastic. I, I do too. Yeah, no, he's a songwriter, drummer. You know, he doesn't sit there and show off with all his amazing drum fills. He literally, but he just has such a great feel. He really does. So, yeah, yeah, he's a fucking great drummer. I mean, well, the list goes on and on. Being friends with Stuart Copeland, playing with him, all that shit. Yeah, it's a rock and roll dream come true. It is. Yeah, well, congrats again on the record. It really is a terrific record. Well, you know what? I'm glad you enjoy it, and I'm glad it brought some some fun to your life. And I know you guys are a little bit better off down there than we are here in Australia. I don't think you guys are quite as closed down. And I think you're kind of opened up a little bit more right now, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, we're very fortunate down here. It's a bubble compared to the rest of the world. Well, good. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. That's nice. And, and, and uh, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. And uh, I'm glad that you like the record. And uh, I'm just, you know, yeah, get ready for more music. We're all, we're all busy as fuck. We all stay busy in our separate lives as well. So, you know, I, I continue to make music pretty much every day. Uh, massive thanks to our special guest today, Taylor Hawkins. How cool was it to get that little bit of Dave Navarro on the line there too at the end? Uh, the Foo Fighters' new record, Medicine at Midnight's out now. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and thanks for joining us this week on Sony Music Presents Time to Talk. Hope you can join us again very soon. <laughs>